Welcome into Valuing Vulnerability, the podcast where tough conversations are not only encouraged, but actually required. I'm your host, Kelsey Bigelow, and today I have a conversation with someone I'm so excited could join the show, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's very near and dear to my heart, and it's focused on eating disorders, and more specifically, eating disorders in athletes, and I know a lot of you have probably seen the news circling around of NCAA athletes and mental health lately, and sending all my thoughts, all my prayers to every family that might be struggling, every person that might be struggling. And this is just one part of that mental health crisis, and that is eating disorders. And joined today by Savannah Fernandez. She's a sports psychologist at McCallum's Place. It's an eating disorders center in St. Louis, Missouri. And she actually focuses very, very strictly on those who are struggling with eating disorders that are athletes. There's something there called the Victory Program, and she is a big part of that. Again, a sports psychologist. And with that being said, I'm going to quit doing the talking because we have a great guest with us today. And welcome, Savannah Fernandez. For the listeners out there, just kind of tell me a little bit more about your background and your current position with McCallum's Place. Sure. So I did my undergraduate study at Florida State University. <clears throat> I majored in psychology and minored in business, and um, right when I graduated in 2016, I was accepted into Loyola University, Maryland, PsyD program in Baltimore, Maryland, and they're a generalist program, so I went there to study clinical psychology in general, Um, but you kind of get to specialize a little bit more through your clinical rotations, and so I always, you know, whether I was in a counseling center or working with the general population always kind of asked if people ever came in with eating challenges or body image challenges or sports-related issues that they refer them to me so I could get that clinical experience. Um, And then a little bit more officially, I, um, along with one of the clinical directors, set up a clinical rotation at the Renfrew Center of Baltimore. So that was a PHP and IOP Mm -hmm. eating disorder facility. I spent my fourth year um, there, probably two to three days a week. And then um, for my pre-doctoral internship, your fifth and last year of the PsyD program, I matched at Lehigh University's Counseling Center, and I specifically worked in their sports psychology track. So kind of through my clinical experiences, did I kind of carve out that expertise in eating disorders and sports psychology, and now... Um, accepting the position at the Victory Program at McCollum Place, getting to do higher level of care, residential, and partial hospitalization eating disorder treatment specifically for athletes. That's awesome. So I guess just with all of that background, how did you kind of get interested in doing psychology, I guess, in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. I just kind of remember um, my senior year of high school, I took a psychology elective, And I really liked it. It was kind of a more fun science for me. Biology and chemistry were always a little too hard for my liking. (laughs) Um, But I really liked psychology. And so going into college, I was like, hmm, like, I don't really know what I want to do. I just really remember liking this class last year. Let me go with that. And so I, uh, yeah, I decided to major in psychology. And I didn't always have the same career path. I kind of was like most kind of hopeful freshmen who are like, I'm going to go to medical school, uh, didn't, obviously didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of relied on what I liked when I was younger and just kind of went with it. And I always had 
you know, fun in my psychology classes and enjoyed learning that material in college. So I kind of did just pick one major and stuck with it the whole time. That's awesome. It doesn't doesn't happen too often, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but now you're at McCollins Place in their victory program, and essentially, uh, just from what I've read, it's like a very athlete focused eating disorder. So very like a specialized sector, I guess. But can you just talk to I guess? Uh, obviously, there's certain information you can and can't give, but the number of like athletes that you typically see, like it's a pretty common thing that I think a lot of people don't really recognize the. Uh, correlation between athletes and eating disorders for sure yeah and uh, we have a couple different units um so we have like our partial hospitalization unit that is combined adolescents and adults then we have our adult residential unit and our adolescent residential unit so i would say like at any given time we probably have between four or five um victory um, program athletes in in those units mm-hmm. like I think right now we have four adolescents in res four adults in res and then three in CHP so when you get all the units together there's usually over 10 people and sometimes our census is a little lower but for the most part when one person discharges we're getting a new admission in um, but we see a lot of different sports um and again, we see both female and male athletes. We see adolescents. We see adults. So, yeah, there's definitely a need for this kind of work out there. And and we're one program who works athletes with eating disorders, but there also are other programs in the United States who do this. And I think the field is continuing to grow because it is such an important topic and a place that hasn't gotten such specialized attention until kind of recently. Mm-hmm. And I know there's obviously a need for it but I would say more often than not you're going to find just an eating disorder treatment facility not necessarily specialized for athletes but what would you say the importance of providing a different kind of care and a different level of care for athletes compared to just your I don't don't know just your average Joe I guess sure and so when you ask that question you mean why do athletes need a higher level of care or why do athletes need to specialize why do they need that specialized Yeah, I think we talk a lot about how there are fair amounts of overlap between what can look like a good athlete, a good dedicated athlete, and the very small gray line of where that crosses over potentially into someone with an eating disorder. Um, I think often the example I use is talking about like pursuing excellence versus perfectionism. We see a lot of athletes and we see someone who's pursuing excellence and we think that they're doing great and they're very determined and you know they're always raising the bar for themselves but if that person internally isn't necessarily striving for excellence but they're striving to be perfect and they talk really hard on themselves and um, you know they don't have a lot of self-compassion or grace towards mistakes or anything like that then we're kind of seeing someone who maybe isn't necessarily just a dedicated athlete but someone who's struggling with trying to be perfect and usually those aren't going to be helpful outcomes um, because perfectionism just quite literally isn't possible. Um, So we'll see athletes who are struggling in that mentality and that can translate into food. And so it's like if I work out perfect, if I do all my training perfectly, if I eat perfectly, then, you know, I'll get the results that I want. And sometimes on the outside looking in, it seems favorable, but when you take a closer look and see how that athlete's actually doing internally, 
they're not doing so well. Um, that's why I think it's nice to get the athletes together to say, like, hey, here's what sport culture kind of expects of you and perpetuates, and those can be really helpful things sometimes. And here's where we kind of have to draw the line to make sure you're taking care of yourself so that it doesn't kind of come back and bite you in the butt. Right. And I, I think, like you said, there is a fine line. I don't know. I personally actually went through an eating disorder in high school and uh, was an athlete in high school, and I correlate the two uh, quite a bit. But I think a lot of times it starts with good intent, and you're like, oh, like diet culture tells us if we don't eat X, Y, Z, then we're going to be faster, stronger, more athletic. But then it becomes almost a habit, and we can't get away from it, so we're fueling our body with nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is such a slippery slope, and it, I think you're so right. It starts out so innocent where it's like, I, like, I hear these messages being you know, perpetuated in like sport or just culture in general, and it's like if I limit this kind of food group, then that's going to help my performance. And so it can just start out so innocent as just wanting to start you know, bettering your performance, but it can just slip, be very slippery into a place that's detrimental. And can you just, I mean, on the psychology side of it, is there like similarities that you see, uh, I guess, with eating disorder patients that come in that maybe just there's some sort of wiring in the brain, I guess, when you study something like that? Yeah, I mean, I haven't conducted like any of my own research Mm -hmm. in that capacity, but I definitely think that Again, we're seeing athletes, the the same kind of mentality that can help an athlete succeed is the same kind of mentality that can fuel an eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who is determined, who is resilient, who can tolerate a lot of pain, who's always trying to push to do better. Those kinds of strong personality traits create a great athlete, and when those characteristics are then translated into how that person is approaching food or if they're like restricting food intake or have rules around food like those that rigidity can get really challenging really fast Mm -hmm. Uh, I will also say I think when I have athletes come in and they kind of get a little bit more educated on you know how diet culture maybe has lied to them and all these years and once they kind of realize what to put their energy and motivation into I I think that's one of my favorite part about working with athletes is that they tend to be so motivated. And even if they're frustrated with the process of recovery and they're like, oh, man, like, I just don't understand why my eating disorder wants me to do all these things when I'm trying to recover. They're so transparent about it and they're so motivated to work against that eating disorder Mm -hmm. to recover. So that's really fun, too, as as a psychologist, just to get to see then use kind of those like motivational powers for good instead of evil. That is really cool. I mean, like you said, athletes are more determined than most. So just putting all that power towards, hey, I'm going to beat this eating disorder and like prove I can do it. At least, I don't know, that's the mentality for me because obviously – I mean, people talk, and if they see you struggling with an eating disorder, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so it was a little different than, like, a big city, but people see it, and they talk about it, and so for me, it was, like, a little extra motivation, like, hey, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Right, right. Uh, So when we talk, or I guess when you look at treatment for athletes or just, like, a day there at the Victory Program, can you just kind of outline, like, what kind of treatment these athletes go through and just, like, their day-to-day, I guess? Sure. Um, I guess if I kind of think a little bit about like residential, they'll wake up, they will ha- 
have their vitals checked. Um, they will be weighed. They usually don't see their weight unless that's clinically indicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they have breakfast, and they always, after each meal, they engage in post-meal process. So they have an opportunity after a meal to say, like, hey, this is what was really hard about this meal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I hope to do better. And so you kind of get real in the moment uh, space to kind of debrief the meal and get support and feedback from your peers and the meal therapist. Um, and then they'll kind of go into either some, like, free time or groups or individual sessions. And there's groups throughout the day, and they're kind of separated by snacks, lunch, and afternoon snack. And they're all different kinds of topics. So whether you're in a therapy group with your peers or you're in individual therapy or you're meeting with your nutritionist, your day is kind of packed pretty Mm -hmm. full. And it's not until 4.30 that you really get any free time to yourself. And that's kind of between then and dinner. You get dinner at um, at 6 or 7. I think 7, actually. Um, And so... Yeah, and then it's, like, that's hard work, too, to kind of, like, have downtime and then gear up for something that feels kind of scary. And then after dinner, there's kind of a little bit more downtime. You have an ease, like, a bedtime snack, and then you're off to sleep. So, again, a very, like, exhausting and tiring day, just not as much so with the body that athletes are used to. Like, think of, like, a training camp for your body, but think of that more, like, with your mental well-being and your emotions, right? Like, you're working hard every day for a long long time right and honestly the mental exhaustion sometimes is worse than physical physical it feels like you can just keep pushing through but when it comes to mental exhaustion at least for me personally I like I'll I'll be zonked like I'm out if I am mentally exhausted like I need a nap I don't want to do anything so I assume that that's probably similar for most people yeah definitely and you talk about like after meals just sitting down and sharing kind of what thoughts went through their head and I think that's such an important part when you look at eating disorder recovery because a lot of people don't even necessarily realize the thought that's going through their heads as they're eating or how their body's feeling when they're eating and I think that's a big part of it just recognizing hey eating this I felt uncomfortable but really I don't need to because it's just I mean calories are fuel for our body essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really nice for people to be able to have a place to talk about it right then and there and then get support or get feedback or if their eating disorder is saying, you know, you should feel really guilty about this meal, the peers are right there to say, yeah, your eating disorder is trying to tell you that, but you did it and, like, you should be proud of it and feel good about, like, you just made one more step closer in your recovery process just that support system that's so cool and I mean everyone's kind of going through the same thing so it makes it even more I guess uh sentimental in a way yeah yeah so when you talk to athletes I know a lot of times like there's going to be obviously stubbornness a lot of people don't see eating disorders and uh there's going to be like a no I'm doing it the right way but what kind of advice do you share with athletes when they're struggling with ED I know that's kind of a loaded question. (laughs) The first thing that comes to my mind is the diversity of someone's identity. Mm Because I think we see a lot in this population 
well, even without athletes, is one, eating disorders can kind of consume someone's identity and kind of say, this is all you are. And so if this is all I am, then this is what I'm going to do to the best of my ability, which can make someone really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, I think athletes, especially I think those who do year-round sports or have started at a young age or especially if they're competing in college, is your life starts to become your sport. Like you wake up, you might have morning practices, you hang out with your teammates, you go to afternoon practices, um, you travel with people, you have gear that has your team's name on it. And so people's identity can be very 50-50. I'm an athlete with an eating disorder. Um, And so I think my biggest advice for people is to think about who they are outside of those things and, like, where else you can find value in your life. And if you're competing in your sport still because you love it or because because there's some contingency or expectation on an outcome that you want. Like, I'm only competing in this sport still because I have a goal of, you know, going to the Olympics or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Like, that's, we want to see that you're enjoying sport, you're enjoying it for social reasons, physical reasons, competitive reasons. We want to see that even if you were to break your leg tomorrow, you could still feel like yourself and you could still feel like you have a community. But athletes, I think it's just hard sometimes with the culture and how, you know, especially if you're having to practice five-ish hours a day, um, how it's hard to create that identity outside of it. So that's some of the work that we do here is trying to get them, now that they're away from their sport, to explore, like, who else are you and who else do you want to be? And that doesn't mean your athlete identity has to go away, but let's just let's just diversify who you are and bring out the parts that maybe aren't getting the attention that they deserve. I love that. That is, that's very powerful, and it, it is true. I mean, sometimes they just overtake, and that's who you become, and you just kind of let it happen to yourself, maybe not even realizing it. But one other thing I wanted to ask you for sure was, we always talk about breaking the stigma with mental health, and an eating disorder is very apparently mental health issue. Uh, a lot of people... I mean, I know that's kind of, some people will debate that, but full-heartedly for me that it is a mental health disorder in a way. And how do you just kind of get people, for me, I guess, as an example, I was very reluctant to even admit that I had an eating disorder. And in order to recover, you have to make that first step of realizing that you have ED, I guess. So how do you mm-hmm. get people to speak up and say, hey, I need help? Like, what is the importance of getting people to come in and ask for help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, again, my mind goes initially to um, <clears throat> the adolescents that we sometimes have where it's not their choice to, mm-hmm. to make that first step. Like their parents or their coaches or someone has noticed um, a change and they, you know, figure out that they need help and an adolescent's not ready for that, but adolescents have, you know, more or less not really a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but for adults, you know, yeah, it's really, I hope the stigma is decreasing in a way that makes it more accessible for someone to step up. I think I've been, you know, excited to see we're doing a learning series right now at McCallum Place, and we have, like, a coaches learning series on Friday, and there's, like, a thousand or so more people showed up than we expected and um 
or to sign up. And so the fact that people are interested in learning about it are maybe not educated quite yet, but are asking questions or like people who are educated and want to keep knowing more. And I'm seeing that happen in families with coaches. And so hopefully that just continues on. And we have people who are mindful that that's becoming a thing and looks out for that in, in their athletes. Um, hopefully that breaking down one barrier to getting into treatment I would say the other thing is like even regardless of if like the stigma is decreased I think in eating disorders and maybe even like in all kind of mental health challenges it's like you have to be ready to to do the work and um, there's no one who can force you to be ready to do the work and to be ready enough right like you don't have to be like oh, my gosh, I love recovery. I'm so excited to do this every day. Like, sometimes recovery is going to really, really be hard, and it's not going to be fun, and you're not going to be excited about it. But more of that, like, willingness of, like, I'm ready to do this, and I'm willing to accept the challenges and the hardships that come along with this. And that's the kind of person who, you know, can make really big strides. And, like, we've definitely seen people who have come into treatment once, and they kind of told us that they – Later on, they tell us that they faked it till they made it, and they got out, they relapsed, and then they came back, and they're like, I think last time I was just kind of trying to trying to do it to do it, but I wasn't really taking it to heart. So for it to actually have true effect on it, you have, like, the, the, the athlete has to be, yeah, I'm noticing that this is impacting my life, this is taking too much from me, and I want to change for it to be an effective treatment. That's just it. You have to be ready to help yourself before others can help you. And I, speaking from experience again, I kind of did the same thing where I just went in and was like in one ear out the other, thought I knew best, uh, which clearly I didn't. But I think also the other part of that, like you said, is education because there's so many eating disorders out there that people might not even know exists. Like for me, I got diagnosed with orthorexia and I didn't even know what that was. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. the slightest clue. And I assume that's probably a pretty popular popular uh, diagnosis for athletes just because it is kind of that pursuit of perfection that a lot of athletes are going for every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess just to wrap things up, if you had to uh, kind of give advice if someone – listening is struggling with ed right now and uh what advice would you give them Hmm. i feel like the yeah one thing that comes to mind is like tell someone like anyone and you know even if that means like telling yourself (laughs) like Mm -hmm. if that means writing it in a journal and like actually trying to like confront it for yourself if it's if you've kind of been in denial and lying to yourself a little bit and but if there's like even one person in your life you can tell or I know there's online resources um like NIDA national awareness.com has resources that even if you enter like into a virtual support group like Mm-hmm. just acknowledging it in some way, shape, or form to yourself, to others, to people you know, to people you don't, can be a really good first step to just ex- accepting that this is a challenge in your life. And then you can, you know, along the way assess, okay, and what do I want to do about it? Am I ready to approach this in a therapy environment? Do I need more time before I make that next step? Uh, 
I definitely think if someone out there is listening who is medically compromised, right, like if you are having fainting spells or like you're feeling really exhausted or you're feeling off in your body and you can tell that there's negative effects from malnutrition, like try to talk to your doctor about it. Um, I think it's important that because eating disorders can be lethal and so to also kind of hit with that reality too.